Welcome, friends, to the Soul Talk podcast, a show where we explore and uncover the path to the heart, amplifying your conscience. Join me as we meet incredible souls who are in this journey and learn from their experience and different methods that will make you vibrate your heart. Let's get into it. Hello, everyone. My name is Monica Ramirez, Warrior of Love, and today we are in the heart of the artist talk. This podcast, it is made for artists uh, from all sorts of artists, painters, poets, writers, dancers, musicians, sculptors. And, uh, and today we have a very special uh, guest. Her name is Julieta Corpus. And let me tell you a little bit who she is. Julieta is born in Rio, Gran, uh, in Rio Grande Bravo, Tamaulipas, Mexico. She started writing her poetry at the age of 11. Her poems have been published in various, in various magazines, newspapers, and anthologies, such as Teniendo Puentes, La Universidad, uh, the University of Texas of uh, uh, Panam, in that time now it's UTRGB, Gallery Magazine, um, in Interstice, Interstice. Uh, Interstice, and Tierra Firme, she has also been featured in local uh, in a local Rio Grande Valley newspapers such as Mesquite Review and the Monitor, writer in edition Festiva. She and that's the uh, that's the art part of the newspaper. She has uh, participated in RGB Boundaries uh, International Festival in five years. As her poems has been included in five uh, anthologies. In the fall of 2009, Julieta has uh, been invited to participate in Felisma, the book festival in San Miguel de Allende, Guanajuato, where she shared her poems. Julieta hosted a night poetry at the Severo Perks uh, Cafe in Hueslaco. I have participated in there. It was a lot of fun mm -hmm. for three years. She had finished recording the, uh, a compact uh, this title, Corazón Parlante, which includes 12 poems of her inspiration and her and the background music was arranged by Mario Mora, member of Dulce Toxico, and the cover was made by me. Yes. <laughs> and at the moment, the poetry uh, enjoys participating in poetry events, sharing the poems in the Rio Grande Valley. And in May uh, 2016, she finished her master's degree in, liter in literacy uh, creation in the University of Texas, UTRGB. <coughs> in Guida uh, de Malena, Cuba, her poems have been included in anthologies. Only in San Miguel, um, in San Miguel uh, Volume 1 and Volume 2 in edition. She has participated with poetry, uh, with a poet, um, with Katie Holler, in the visual arts, um, Corinne Whitmore, in the collaboration in the book Borderlands Women, published by Austin Press in Texas A&M, and will also be available in fall 2021. Finally, her collection in her poetry has been already gone on sale and has been published in, in 21 by the um, EM Editorials, with the title "The Amores y Despedidas," of love and uh, um, departures, both books are available in Amazon. And her contact, you can find it in the description, uh, where you if you're interested, and you are going to hear some of her poetry. 
And if you're interested, you can find it in Amazon and her contact information is also in the description. Well, Julieta, it's really, really my pleasure to have you here. Thank you for inviting me. Thrilled to be here. Thank you. And uh, well, we decide to do this uh, this interview in English because the majority of our listeners are um, English speaking. Okay. And uh, but if you have any questions, even in Spanish or in English, please write it down in the comments and let us know where you're uh, writing from. We will appreciate that very much. Julieta, it's really my pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much. Thank Julieta, uh, many of the, the the people that are listening to us, they might be poet appreciators or artist appreciators, but not necessarily they are artists. Mm -hmm. So I just keep that in mind because many people, they don't know the process of the artist. And that was, that was one of the purpose of uh, the artist of the, the heart of the artist talk. So that people get to know our process uh, and our ups and downs that we have and we go with and as a survival also so that people can understand a little bit more of the artists what do we have uh, what do we pass and then that is not so simple it's not so easy but we still do it because we love it <laughs> we do passionate about it so i would like to ask you um What makes you, from when you were little, you started writing your poetry when you were 11, to become yeah. a, and to decide actually to become a poet and dedicate your life because that's who you are now? That's who I am now. That's how I'm recognized, mostly as a poet. I'm also a bilingual translator. But uh, the, my journey from when I started penning some poems and to the now where I actually have a book published, It has been a long one, and I'm not going to say it has been difficult. It has been filled with a lot of uh, pleasurable moments, meeting new people. I met you through one of the poetic events. What I don't think I decided at any point I'm going to be a poet. I think that, I'm, of course, from personal experience, my circumstances, my experiences have shaped me into the poet that I am today. Um, a lot of my poetry is based or inspired by my childhood in Mexico. I write about living those four years in San Pedro Coahuila. I was writing at 11 years old, yes, but it was mostly to entertain my brothers and sisters. I was, and it was very short poems. And uh, what I was doing mostly was illustrating my own graphic novels. So I would have... Um, I would have like telenovelas, that's what they were. They were soap operas in, in drawing form, mostly stick people because I haven't really been a great artist with dialogue. So I was imitating the magazines that I grew up with because I grew up reading graphic novels in Mexico. And so I was, that's what I was doing, I was imitating. And again, it was for entertaining my brothers and sisters because we're talking about a time when there were no cell phones, no uh, iPad, everything that is a distraction nowadays, no Facebook. <laughs> and, uh, and I had a beautiful, vivid childhood growing up in Mexico. I didn't appreciate it then because I was just, of course, surrounding myself with everything that I was experiencing. But as I, when I came to the United States in 1978, 
And I would talk to people about what I went, what I experienced in Mexico. A lot of them would raise their eyebrows and ask me to repeat what I had just told them to give you an example. So those four years in Mexico, in San Pedro Coahuila, uh, I was living in a tenement with my grandma, my mom, my sisters. And just the idea of a tenement here, I have to describe it to the people that I speak to here because we're used to apartments and apartment buildings. But it's a tenement in San Pedro. It was a building you walk into, it was one, one story, and the little houses or the rooms were inside and there were, I'm, I'm gonna say there were 10 of them surrounding a huge fountain with water, a cistern. Every tenement had a cistern and that's where my mom would draw the water for washing the dishes, for washing clothes, and even for emptying the water into the toilet because it wasn't a flushing toilet. So this was a, a small space shared by 10 families. We didn't exactly know each other. We ran into each other occasionally. And so one of the, I could, now it could be described as uh, magic surrealism. So my grandmother was a follower of El Niño Fidencio. And El Niño Fidencio was, had been an actual person. When he died, he was, um, he was, he became a saint for the people. And not only that, because he used to heal as a, when he was alive, he used to heal with plants and with herbs and, uh, and with different natural uh, healing. Everything he found around him, he would use it for healing, perform operations with, with glass. I mean, now I hear that and it's like, what do you mean? he cut people with glass. Uh, not, nothing, you know, nothing to put the person to sleep, just cut. And so this person dies. He becomes a saint, made a saint by the people, but then these cajitas start popping up, boxes, but they were actually channelers. They were channeling the spirit of El Niño Fidencio to come into them, and then they would heal people through this spirit of El Niño Fidencio. And so every Wednesday at 7, like clockwork, Sara, the, the channeler, would walk through our vecindad. There was a temple ready for her where she would put on this shiny gown, tie it with a white rope, go into a trance and channel the spirit of El Niño Fidencio. And then people would gather and he, she would start healing them or through. It was, again, something that I grew up with. That's just one sample of the beautiful, magical things that happened to me as a child that now as an adult, I put in writing form, I turn into poems because I don't want to forget that part of my childhood, all those wonderful things. But I don't think there was a point where I said, okay, I'm going to become a poet. Again, I've been shaped by circumstances, blessed by, by having experienced so much that by 53, I'm 53 years old now, Many times I tell myself, but I have lived like four or five lifetimes because of everything that I have experienced. So that's what I am as a poet, just someone who now puts the paper, what I have experienced, very personal stuff. And I don't mind sharing at all what I have experienced. I, I, do, uh, I do understand all that thing because I am a channeler myself. 
I just don't channel Nino Fidencio. I, I channel Pins of, of the Highest Plains. But uh, but yes, I Mexico. I, I grew up in Mexico. We have so many stories, and our culture is so rich that there are so many things that we can talk about that, and it's oh yes, never ending, <laughs> never ending. Exactly. It would be a conversation about that, you know, what I have experienced, what I went through, religious, and just categorize it. Religious. Um, visiting my cousins, my cousins at the ranchos, at the ranches where they live, the adventures I had there. My grandfather worked in a field that didn't belong to him and what he went through. Um, my mom working already as a, as a young girl at 12 years old. My dad, Abracero, coming to the United States at 12 years old, crossing the river by himself and working here at that age and then just going back and forth to the United States and Mexico, taking money. And, and just living a very strange, wonderful life also. So, we also have a, stories. We have a very special uh, person seeing us. She's, he's also a very good writer, Ramiro. Yes. He's, uh, he's saying hello to both of us. <laughs> Hopefully we can have him soon here. Ojalá te obtengamos pronto aquí también, Ramiro. <laughs> este, Gloria va a estar. Gloria, I'm going to interview Gloria. Wonderful. Okay, I would like to ask you, uh, going back to that, have your thematic from then have changed? As an artist, as a painter, my thematic have changed. It depends on my emotions completely or, or what I feel. And it have changed my thematic, even the way I write. It have mm -hmm. changed completely. How is for you now? Do your thematic with your experience now, uh, is, it have changed? or still writing with the same thematic? No, no. I can tell you that my early poems were very lighthearted and they were about, for example, whatever I was experiencing at the moment, if I was outside listening to the wind and, and just watching birds, that's exactly what I would write about. I have um, funny poems. I tried those also. As I matured, as I experienced more, as I experienced loss, that's when I noticed that my poems just acquire a different perspective. The vocabulary itself changed. I noticed it wasn't so lighthearted and so romantic and idealized or idealistic, but I began to research in the internet and within myself, more within myself, but looking for words that could truly express what I was feeling at that moment. So I started lighthearted and then I went through my romantic phase where in my mind, I was making up these beautiful, passionate romances that always ended in misery and uh, and writing about it because I have this streak for the dramatic. Again, I'm going to blame the Mexican soap operas and a lot of Mexican movies. That was my daily diet. And so even now when I seek movies, I seek the dramatic. So I became, I'm not going to use the word profound because I don't think I'm at that point now, but from the romantic and lighthearted, I started looking out also to what was going on around me world events, uh, everything, things that were political as well. And I started writing about that, but I was also uh, coming across 
human stories in the newspaper. Um, I remember I used to buy the New York Times. And a lot of those stories, many of those stories would strike me as being worthy of, uh, of a poem. And so I would sit and write. I remember not even that long ago going through the obituary section in the New York Times because New York, the New York Times, they publish the obituaries of people that we, a lot of us didn't hear about, don't know about. And then they write these gorgeous obituaries. And then I get to know, at least through the, through the obituary, what kind of person we just lost. And we're talking inventors, scientists. We're talking performers. We're talking uh, ballet dancers from all walks of life and, and from all the arts. And part of me wants to memorialize that or immortalize it with my poetry. So I did that also for a while. Haven't done that in a while, but plumbing the obituaries and drawing inspiration from the lives of others enriches me. And um, right now I'm at the point where I'm writing, again, I'm going, I'm not writing about what uh, my stories my mom told me, stories my dad shared with me, because I lost my mom. And thank God she was a storyteller because I'm able to remember a lot of the stories that she told us. They, it wasn't that many. And the ones that she told us, she told them to us repeatedly. And so I can remember. Um, I, my dad is still alive. And when I visit him, I'll, I'll try to guide him to a conversation about his childhood because he doesn't, he rarely talks about his childhood. And so those are the stories that I find myself writing out. I don't want to forget, and I don't want my brothers to forget, the struggles, the sacrifices that my parents went through in order to give us this life in the United States and these opportunities. Do your poetry is in English or in Spanish, or, by, or in both? In both, if by both you mean, uh, do I blend the languages in the poems? Yes. I rarely do. To I clarify, rarely do. To clarify to the spectators, uh, we live, uh, Julieta and me, we live, both of us, in a zone that is very close to Mexico, almost in the border with Mexico. So uh, here you can want to find many people that speak Spanish only, or many people that only speak English, or they, they combine both and, and yes. in this area. So uh, that's why I'm asking you, do you, um, in which language do you, do you write your poetry? When I was young, it was all in Spanish. I didn't have a lot of vocabulary in English. As I grew mature and read far more poets than I had uh, in my younger years, that's when I did make the conscious decision when I was in college at UTRGV to remain faithful to the Spanish and continue to write in Spanish. And then of course, write in English. However, I noticed, not as I was writing, but I would notice when I would reread my poems at that point that I tended the, the English language, I used it for themes that were not as serious. In the Spanish, I would use it with themes that were from the heart, more profound themes. So that was interesting to me to realize, wow, I'm not taking, um, not that I wasn't taking English seriously, but I was playing with that language a lot more with the themes. 
um, not with the language itself, but I was playing with the themes in English um, more so than I was doing with Spanish. With Spanish, I was still using words like alma, en corazón, en remordimiento, en soledad, you know, kind of following in the, in the footsteps of Antonio Machado and, and all those great poets from, from a long time ago, los antiguitos, right, the antique poets. Um, and in the English, I was just playing. I was not really, you know, not reading a lot of English poets other than what I was coming across in my English courses. But, um, yes, go ahead. Maybe because the novelas that you used to watch, they were in Spanish. <laughs> and you're not watching yes. the soap operas in English. Right, <laughs> well, I know, never. Was drama. Um, English, but I was watching, um, I've always watched uh, movies in English. So what happens with language, what happens with me and my bilingual brain is that sometimes the poems come to me in Spanish and other times they come to me in English. And so for my collection, for example, of Love and Departures, many of these poems are, were originally in Spanish and I had to translate them because since it's a bilingual book, I had to translate them to English, which is not an easy task. Mm -hmm. And then the ones that came to me in English, I translated them into Spanish. And again, not, it's not easy, not because as you know, many words in Spanish cannot be translated literally into the English and vice versa. Especially in English, when you start including a lot of uh, figurative language and uh, phrases and sayings that are very well known in English, you run the risk of uh, translating them wrong or not including one word that will make the difference. So I'm very careful as a translator to seek different sources of that one, let's say, that one phrase, so that I can then translate it to the best of my abilities with all this, with, with some research behind it. That's why it takes me long to translate, but I know I do a pretty good job at it. It is, it is very hard, and I totally agree with you. My first language is Spanish, like you know. And, uh, and yes, yeah, sometimes my poems comes in English and, uh, or my, even my dreams I have or bilingual, uh, dreams. And it's like, oh, wow. I didn't imagine that actually the inspiration comes in, in the, the two languages is not only in English or Spanish. Yes. It's, and, uh, it's fascinating. And, and the translation, yes, it is very hard to translate emotions. Uh, because in, in Spanish, in the Romantic um, language, there's more ways of expressing certain things that in, that in English. So yes. it, it is very, very hard to translate. I, when I try to translate my poems, sometimes I just like, oh, I give up. It's, yes. it's <laughs> well, because in many cases, you cannot translate the musicality of the Spanish language into the English. It doesn't follow. It doesn't, it doesn't fall. I have a question for you. Uh, Alena is asking me, what is the name again of your book? And you can find it also, Alena, in the description. There is a link for the, uh, for Amazon uh, of the book of uh, Julieta. But what is the name of your book, Julieta? The title, I just wrote it in the chat, is Of Love and Departures. Okay. That's the book, The uh, Amor y Despedidas. Okay, let me... Yeah, so half of it is in, starts in English, and then halfway, 
then you start with the Spanish poems. Okay, I just share it. In, okay. mm -hmm. And uh, I wanted to ask you also, Julieta, um, I know before you were a teacher and now you're a full-time translator and poet or how hard, what I wanted to to open up for our spectators that the ones that don't understand too much about the art world. Sure. Uh, how hard is actually become a, a poet and survive and pay your bills and have vacations mm -hmm. and so forth yeah. as a poet? As a poet. I'm not making a living as a poet. <laughs> I'm making a living more as an editor and translator nowadays. Um, the poetry, it's very difficult to, to sell in book form. I mean, I'm starting out. This is my first book. And I'm, of course, I'm full of hope um, and excited for, for what, you know, what the future holds. I do have other uh, books already in mind uh, to bring to life. Um, but I want to say that the translations that I'm currently working on and the edits, or as an editor, is, it's what uh, was putting some money in my bank account. Not so much as a poet. Poet, I do it because I love it and because as I wrote in one of my poems, if I don't write it down, I'll scream it. I mean, I will spend the day screaming it or howling it. I love sometimes that emotion just lodge in my throat and and I just put it on paper. That's how I expel it. That's how I exercise it. Alina says that uh, she's from Italy. And you're oh, here with us, Elena, from Italy? Ciao, let us, Bella. Let us know. <laughs> uh, yes. I wanted to ask you, um, many people are writing poems or writing books or they want to participate in anthologies or things like that. How easy or how hard is to publish a book or be part of an anthology? To be part of an anthology, what has happened with me is that I started, I started presenting my poetry, sharing my poetry back in 2009. Previous to that, I was not sharing my poems, not in public. I submitted to a journal at UTRGV. It was a great feeling to be accepted and published. I submitted to a, to a magazine in McAllen. It was accepted. But what has happened with me through the years and, um, you know, doing the, the poet, the open mics throughout the valley and traveling outside of the valley to read my poetry. I have formed, I would like to think that I have formed networks, people who now know me by name and they know my work because I have taken advantage of the opportunities given to me whenever there's an invitation to go to Houston, to go to Austin, to go to, you know, to participate in a poetry, in a, any poetry event. I have said yes so many times you wouldn't believe it or maybe you would believe it like i'm always saying yes to things it's only lately that i've been stepping it back like okay no i cannot do everything at once but um that's how my poems and i'm also always alert i, I belong here on facebook to different writing groups and a lot of those writing groups many times they're working on an anthology and they'll invite you once you're in that group 
It happened with me with the, the, the anthology that was published recently in Cupatizio, Los Poetas de Cupatizio, which is in Guerrero, I want to say. I joined the group. They were putting together this, this anthology. They told me, send some poems, Julieta. I did. It was only one. Record yourself reading a poem. I sent it. It was accepted. They asked me, of course, to accompany uh, or to send my, my written poem along with the video. And then, next thing I know, I mean, this, uh, I don't want to say it was worldwide, but at least all of Latin America. And then, and I'm now included in that anthology. So by joining groups, by saying yes to invitations to different poetry events, don't sit on your poems, do share them. By being, I'm very visible on, on, on social media. Um, and um, just having, again, groups of people to network with. And many of us will tell each other, hey, there is a, an anthology coming up. Um, why don't you send us poems? That's how it has worked for me. Just put yes. yourself out there, be visible. Yes, uh, because many people have asked me about that. And I've been obviously invited in, the, in different anthologies. In fact, right now is, I'm going to be participating one in Monterrey. Awesome. And um, that. But yes, it, it is possible, but you have to actually go to poetry readings and mm -hmm. market yourself, market yourself. And that's the only way that you can. And I know at the beginning, and that's another question I have for you. When you would not call your, I, I like, and myself, I started writing poetry when I was 13 or 14, but I did not call myself poet in that time. It took uh, a great friend that I have, uh, Veronica Sandoval, Eddie Mariposa, to actually push me in my venue, Art Awakenings, to, and now you're a poet and you're gonna, you're gonna uh, read your poems. And I, and in Mexico and in the United States are very different in the way how we read poems. In Mexico, you will memorize your poem, and in the United States, you will read your poem. Yes. And, uh, and just to call myself poet without memorizing my own poems, it was a tough one. How has it been for you? Because there is a difference between over there and over here. There is. Um, I have read in here in the frontera, in the border towns, and um, I have read from the book. I am, I am lousy at memorizing poems, I'll tell you. I cannot memorize a poem at all. Not one of mine, not, not one by somebody else. So I have always, at every poetry event, either, well, at the beginning, before my book, I would have my little you know, bundle of papers on a clipboard and that's, or the phone to read from. But I admire people who can do that. Especially someone who can stand on stage and recite this long poem, like, wow, you know, that blows me away because I cannot. I can probably do it, I just haven't set my mind to do it since, since it is, we can read from a paper here or a book. It is but tough. I, I remember I did read, uh, well, not read, I memorized Redondillas, the Sor Juan Inés de la Cruz. That was a tough one. And I, I, you asked me again, I, I, I did it when I was 15, I'm 52, so I forget about it. I don't remember it, all of the poem, but it's one of my favorites. Can you delight us with one of your poems so like that if people know, uh, get to know your, your poetry? I will. Um, I'll briefly introduce, say something about this book. This book 
of Loving Departures is exactly what the title says. Um, I lost my... Yes. People can see it better. Yes. Yes. Right That's the cover for it. And then the title is up here, Loving Departures. I wrote this book. Well, this book, it, the book itself was a journey, but um, it has been inspired by grief or it has been a way to, once again, as I was talking about it, exorcise my grief, just vent. But it did actually start with my mom's death in 2011. She died um, from pancreatic, pancreatic cancer. And then five years later, my then husband died from pancreatic cancer. But when he was diagnosed, that's when I started writing because I couldn't show my feelings to him. I couldn't cry in front. I didn't want to cry in front of him. So this, this was a way to unbosom, unburden what I was feeling. And then I wrote, of course, um, after he passed, after he died, I wrote extensively everywhere. I was just, the poems just kept coming And so that's what this book is about. It's, it's a book about love, about love and loss. So I want to share with you imperatives for carrying on. Cry when necessary. Say his name out loud every time an ocean breeze brings a memory awaiting resurrection. Do not ignore the outside world which beckons with fragrant blooms, the hum of honeybees and a periwinkle sky. Mark the sixth anniversary with a journey to his favorite place. Stay a while and reflect on your loss. Pick wildflowers, fall asleep, invoke his ghost, sing a song you just heard on the radio. Recite the first lines of If by Rudyard Kipling. Visit the nearest river to placate your thirst. Water is life, he once wrote in a poem about the ocean. Marvel at everything you carry in your heart, still beating to remember laughter, anecdotes, and the incredible love story woven by both of you. Sitting by the water's edge one day, you will hear, grief is the price you pay for love. Allow yourself to collapse beneath the weight of those words. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. Thank you, Julieta. Thank you. And um, I wanted to ask you, oh, we have uh, from Elena. She says she's Italian, but she lives in the United States. You both have a beautiful energies. My pleasure. I love you both. Network is everything. Thank you so much for inviting me. My father passed away last year, and I'm thank you for uh, very much. And she said that uh, it was beautiful. Wow. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, it is now after the pandemic, uh, because all our lives changed. There were poetry readings everywhere. There were different events, cultural events, art exhibits, everything. And it just... Everything got shut down. And I believe the, the ones that were more affected by um, by it, it was the artists in general. I'm not going to say only painters or only poets, the musicians. Uh, they were, everybody were, all the artists, they were, they were affected by it. And now that they're starting to open up, it is hard to open, to find a venue and to get people in there because many businesses also close. Yes, it is. 
It is difficult. I can start with the example of my of my book presentation at the venue I chose. Um, not a lot of people showed up. I wasn't keeping count uh, as far as the invitation that I that I created on Facebook. I didn't go back and check. Oh, how many people have said yes? Because even though you say yes, doesn't mean you're going to be there. Um, the venue is very safe. Um, and I did have people that showed up, friends who, uh, who were there to support me. Um, I have a second reading or a second presentation at uh, Portland, um, Texas, which is right outside of Corpus Christi this next weekend. And it's a bookstore. Um, it's a tiny venue. I don't know how many people will show up. I don't know what's going to happen. What makes me happy is that I'm out there presenting the book, but it is difficult to uh, to fill up a venue. I mean, even, I want to say, even before the pandemic, uh, things were not as, not as great for poetry anymore, I want to say. Here in the Valley, here in the area where we live, we don't have a lot of uh, uh, open mics. Not as many as we once did when I invited you to a couple of readings. They were everywhere, so it seemed. But now, I don't know. I, you know, and I think I was hoping that at least some of the people that attended when I was uh, organizing the open mics, that some of them would take over because in my mind I was like, I'm too old. Let somebody else take over. Let the young people lead. Nobody's taking over. Nobody's saying, me, I have a venue or I'm going to go and I wonder why. I don't know if it's shyness. I don't know if it's lack of connections or networking. I'm ready to go out there and and um, and host a, a, an open mic, a regular open mic, because I'm dying to do so. I really, I love doing it, and I, I, I want to do it again. So, uh, I, yeah. I, I believe I was one of the first ones that started in Art Awakenings, the open mics. I believe yes, that's where I got you. I read there. That was one of my first readings at Our Awakenings. Yes, and I believe it was one of the first uh, open mics that was in this area. You were and one of the few, yes. Uh, I'm not saying the first, but it was one of the first, uh, the, uh, the first venues. And yes, I agree with you. There is no many places. And, uh, and I understand why, and, and I would like to even bring it out a little bit here. Sure. I understand why, because the majority of the places that I don't have a place anymore, but mm -hmm. if we have to depend of the economy of the poets, they don't even buy water. So, and you still have to pay the, the, the rent, the light, the waiters, etc., and all the bills. And so for the poets that they're seeing this, and you go to any place that someone is hosting a poetry reading, at least buy a water, you know, <laughs> because it, it is very hard to maintain all the bills and support the arts yes. at the same time. Yes, so that is, that's key. Be supportive of the venue if you're you are an artist, not only a supportive artist. Artists, we need to support also the venues that are giving the permission or the space yes. to uh, to the to any of the poets. Please, sure, yeah. <laughs> buy a coffee, buy a pastry, buy something that they sell. I mean, yeah, you're helping you're helping the venue when. You're helping that venue to stay open for for future open mics. So, yeah. so like that, more people wanted to happy to have a host a poetry reading in their in their venue. That's, that's true. I agree. I agree. You're right. Yes, and uh, 
I was seeing that uh, when the people have, I have interviewed several poets of uh, San Antonio, they were having a big uh, scene over there for poets over there in, in San Antonio. Uh, do you consider that where we live is actually tougher um, in, for the older arts or in other places is actually easier for the arts? And, and uh, of course, we're talking about poet, uh, poem, poetry. Yes. I have been a bit disappointed by this area when it comes to participation in the poetry scene. I'm going to say it. We don't have the support from the local colleges, be it the community college, UTRGV. You know, it's like, come on, professors, where are you? You know, set the stage for us. Um, give the example. Bring your students or, or send the students to these venues. You know, the only one who was doing that, Emmy Perez, our former Texas poet laureate. She was so good at promoting the arts at her class in her classroom. She would give us a grade for attending a poetry event in the Valley and writing about it. Yes. I mean, that's what it takes, just support from the colleges so that they can, so that we can have these venues filled with young minds, people eager to, to listen to poetry and even participate. Um, I hear that, um, I visited San Marcos recently and um, someone told me that they do have a poetry scene in San Marcos. So there are poetry events going on, open mics rather. It's not just poetry, but music and, and everything else. And, and so does San Antonio, I have heard the same. And I have participated in a couple of, more than a couple of, uh, of uh, poetry readings in San Antonio as well in Houston. So I don't want to say that it's, that it's because it's a city and there's a, a wider variety of people or I haven't really analyzed the reason why. Why are the venues thriving outside of the Rio Grande Valley when we have talent in the Rio Grande Valley? So we're hoping uh, as teachers, I know about one teacher who promotes poetry and invites living poets into the classroom so that they're not just reading uh, these poets who died a long time ago. They are important. Their poetry matters. It's profound. But also promote us, the living poets. And he does. His name is Mark Esperanza. And uh, he's, a, he's a wonderful young teacher who is very energetic. He created a, a writing club at his high school, middle school, high school. Um, it's now based in, I visited when he was based in San Benito, and now he has another one at uh, the Progreso High School. So that's that's one teacher out of how many? So I I do agree. There, unfortunately, there is there is a very it change. It don't used to be like that all the time. Uh, it did change uh, after two thousand eleven or something like that. Two thousand twelve. It, yes, it declined. And that's in all the arts, not only in poetry, I'm talking about painting, I'm talking about the sculpture, or even in music. I heard uh, from even musicians complaining that no one goes to listen to them. They you see them as a background music. And they complain so, um, the same thing. Uh, in all the arts, dancers, etc., they're complaining. Yes, so, yes uh, we need to support more the arts for the people from the Rio Grande Valley. 
if we something that I always mention in this podcast and I wanted to mention it again, remember artists, we are storytellers of our time. We do it through all through our medias. It doesn't matter it's poetry, it is dancing, it is music, it is painting, it is sculpture. It is in all the medias or acting. We are storytellers. And we are that's why we're so important to the society. And if yes, we yes. uh if we support them, they can continue doing the craft. Imagine the world without no story. Mm-mm. Imagine and Hey, and in Texas, soon we're not going to have that story in our schools. <laughs> so, so be careful. <laughs> so let's support the artists so we can continue saying the story. <laughs> right? Yes, yes. May I share another poem from, uh, from this collection? Yes, please. This one is titled, This World. This world is too much without you. A zealous sun scorches the bed sheets each morning. A multitude of bird songs penetrates delicate crevices. Cacti spines leap off, piercing flesh. Fist-sized figs ripen out of reach. Even our morning glories have become nocturnal. This world is too much without you. Its weight has been slowly crushing me for some time now. Gravity, I surrender. That is nice. That is really nice. That's when I was uh, at my lowest point. Because every morning was difficult. It wasn't there anymore. And it was, it was as though someone just turned off the light. He filled every corner of the house with his presence and his laughter. And then... It was gone. It was just me in that house. So a lot of the poems were born out of that solitude, and out of uh, out of that grieving period. Do you consider that you're more inspired to write when you're sad or when you're happy? The the poetry that I have written comes when I'm experiencing an intense emotion. Yes. Um, let me make a correction. The best poetry that I have written comes when I have been feeling an intense emotion. When I'm happy, <laughs> I don't write. <laughs> when I'm happy, I'm out doing something else, enjoying the grass or a movie or friends over a cup of coffee. Let's put it like this, when you're in love, when you're in love or, or heartbroken, Okay. This is in my story. That's how I get more inspired. But in your case, when you're yeah. in love, when I'm, I'm always in love. I've always been in love, even if it's just with, um, like, after I lost my husband, I was in love. Slowly, slowly. Of course, it took some time, but I slowly started falling in love again with life, visiting the ocean, stepping out into the patio, looking at the lizards. Um, watching the cacti flowers blooming, uh, the flight of the birds, the, the hummingbirds all around me, the, the mockingbirds, because it was one of the things that came from him. He showed me how to appreciate. And it wasn't that he was a, ma- a master teacher or he set me, da- set me down and said, meditate and listen. No, no. It was whenever we were out in the patio, he would say, um, okay, stop. 
and he would say, look over there. And I'd be very quiet. And it would be two lizards mating. And he would be fascinated by that. <laughs> the fact that two lizards were mating on a leaf, on a banana leaf. So I didn't used to do that before I met him. I want to say that I was going through life just zooming by, like, not stopping to admire the flowers or the, the lizards or the woodpeckers. <laughs> so, yeah, I've always been in love. Do you, teach, do you teach, uh, teach classes of creative writing right now? I know you in the past you have, but are you teaching right now or you're, in the near future you're going to be teaching um, creative writing classes? Creative writing. In a way, I will be. I'm now part of a team of um, educational consultants, and we're going to be training teachers on a creative writing method. Um, so, yeah, I'll be teaching creative writing. I'll be talking to students, and I'll be sharing poems. I am very excited about that. That should be. It should start in the fall, in September, when we start visiting classrooms, my team and I, and doing just that. It's been a blessing. To, and, to learn this team, to be part of this team. And, uh, but that's for, for schools and uh, outside schools, you're not planning to do another workshop or something like that? Outside of school, uh, well, what I'm planning to do is to start uh, the creative writing classes that I used to hold at a coffee shop in McAllen. They, it was every Saturday from, what was it, from one to two, I was there. And I loved it. I love preparing the, the lesson for that day and taking the materials. And, but uh, what I want to do now is is more convenient perhaps to do it through Zoom, even though I did have a number of people ask me to do it in person. But right now we have to be a little careful, more careful, because of the Delta variant that's floating out there. So I'll tone it down. But once we're out of the woods, once that's in the clear Once we're in the clear, then I would love to go back to in-person workshops. I love the feeling of, uh, of having a small community of writers and seeing them on a weekly basis and, and seeing them grow. Because I've had um, young women who join and then they, t they tell me the same story. Well, I write, but I don't share. And I say, well, you're not obligated to here. It's a, it's a safe space, so if you want to share And then uh, I know one particular person who joined my team or, or the writing group, and she was very shy. But she was writing very well. She had a lot of images and a lot of metaphors and a lot of... And then within two or three months, she was already on the stage for the first time performing her poems. I love that. I love to see that growth. But I invite to my creative workshops, writing workshops, I invite people from all walks of life, from all social statuses. And it's just... Come one, come all. I receive them all equally, of course. Something that I do notice with teaching classes online, uh, now you can connect to the whole world, not only uh, to locals. And uh, that's something that fascinates me. Like when, even if I like the contact one-on-one -on -one with people, sure, I, sure. I enjoy when I'm teaching and I have people from all over the world. That's something that I and only Zoom or online we can we can connect like that to the rest of the world, and that's yes. something that 2020 actually teaches. Mm -hmm. That amazing. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, what is your plans for the near future, Lit? The near future, if you're talking about within the next few months. 
my team and I, we're going to start our trainings in Austin in a couple of weeks. So I'm very excited about that. I'm editing um, a book titled Steam Power Girls. It's for young women to... Uh, it, it, it's a, you would love this book because it's, it encourages young women to be uh, more, more self-assured, uh, to conduct themselves in such a manner that they have more self-confidence, but it also ties it in not only with the personal uh, self-confidence, but also with the mental. And so this book promotes the sciences, the technology, the arts. And uh, I'm working in conjunction with a translator from, uh, from Spain. And so what here he's translating and I'm editing his Spanish to read better in Latin America with terms, terminology that we use here more because in Spain, as you know, they use phrases and words that here we do not know. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, so I came, the authors included the word tomboy. And I grew up with marimacha. I'm sorry, no, I didn't grow up with marimacha. Um, the author used the word marimacha. That was his translation. Well, marimacha, where I grew up, meant um, something else. It meant a woman who liked women. And so we had to agree on a word that could read well for our young girls. And I searched and I searched and I found the word ahombrada. Ahombrada. And that is uh, a term accepted by the Real Academy or by the Real Academia Española. And he agreed that was the best word. So it's an interesting journey with this translator because I'm editing Spanish. And I love it. I'm enjoying it. I'm also doing translations for, uh, um, for a professor. And these are a poet. I'm translating poems by poets from all over the United States. I'm loving that as well. So I'm in my happy place, translating poems and editing texts. That's good. If any writers wants to be edit uh, or translator books, I, I highly recommend Julieta. I'm probably going to be using her myself soon. And, yeah. uh, and I highly recommend her. And she has a very good uh, ethics in, in her work. I highly recommend that. Well, would you like to, before we close, to read one of your last poems and uh, before we close? Yes, of course, I would love to. I'm going to read you one titled, If I Live Before You, and this was inspired by Mercedes Sosa. Si me voy antes que tú. If I live before you, write a poem about happy arrivals, not inevitable departures, Take nocturnal walks along the ocean. Inhale its essence. Sit beneath the tall wisache. Cover your body with its fragrant blossoms. If you are working outdoors, stop and watch the butterflies. Talk to them. Sleep outside on full moon nights. Feel the breeze caressing your skin. Let Mercedes Sosa lull you to sleep with songs about life, love, and death. Visit my salty grave every November. Read your latest poem, your latest poems out loud. Remember me the way I was when you first met me. If I live before you, please do not grieve for too long. Remember what I have always told you. If I live before you, I'll be waiting. That is beautiful. 
Thank you so much, Julieta. Thank you for accepting this invitation too. I really appreciate it. And thanks to your audience. Thanks to everybody who's here listening and those who might listen uh, later and watch this video later. I appreciate that. Monica appreciates that as well. Thank you. And tomorrow uh, in Soul Talk, we're going to have uh, Kay Schultz. She's in Canada and she's a life coach and really, really good, actually. And the next week in the Heart of the Artist Talk, we have Jasmine Becerra. She is a visual artist. And right now we have opened the registrations for uh, Path to the Heart that it will begin the, the retreat on the 6, 7 and 8. The information is also on top. So if you want more information or you can send me a direct message, message too. And thank you, everybody. And uh, if you're seeing the replay, just hashtag replay. We will appreciate that very much. And if you have any questions, uh, you can write it down here. And later on, we can, uh, Julieta, uh, maybe can answer them or I can direct you with Julieta. Sure, I would love to. Thank you so much. Thank you, Julieta. And thank you can you. find everyone this talk in also in YouTube. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today. I would love to share with you my transformational system, Path to the Heart, that I created just for you. Head over to monicaramirezwarrioflove.com and you will find free resources. In there, you can download a masterclass on how to stop being people pleaser and meditations to get you started.